Welcome to 30 Brave Minutes, a podcast of the College of Arts and Sciences at the University of North Carolina at Pembroke. In 30 Brave Minutes, we'll give you something interesting to think about. I'm Richard Gay, Interim Dean of the College, and with me is Dr. Ashley Allen, Interim Associate Dean. Today, we'll be talking about the performing arts in 2020. Now get ready for 30 Brave Minutes. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today for our podcast on the performing arts in 2020. I am very excited to introduce Sarah Bussman, James Bass, and Dr. Jonathan Drejos, who will be our guest today. I am going to let them tell you just a little bit about themselves and what they do before we get started. Sarah Bussman, will you take us away? Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me, Ashley. My name is Sarah Bussman. I am the flute professor at UNCP, and I play principal flute uh, in the Fayetteville Symphony and play flute in a bunch of other ensembles. I'm also the um, founder and director of Darkwater Women in Music Festival, which is at UNCP. And when I'm not doing that, I have two very small children, which you will likely hear on this recording. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you. Okay. So, uh, James, you want to go next? James Bass? Sure. I'm James Bass. I'm the executive director of Givens Performing Arts Center at UNC Pembroke. I also am an adjunct professor of mass communications. I teach photojournalism and I'm a photographer by my art trade. I'll add that he's a very talented photographer. He's being very modest. He's got, he's got some skills oh. over there. So I will second that. It's awesome Thank stuff. You. Well, James, I had no idea, so I feel like I just learned something very important about you. So thank you for that. All right, Dr. Jonathan Drehos. Hi, I'm uh, Jonathan Drehos. I'm the director of theater at uh, UNCP. I'm also a professor um, at UNCP, teaching a wide range of courses in our curriculum. Uh, I'm also the artistic director of the uprising theater company Shakespeare in the Pines, which is uh, here in Pinehurst, North Carolina. And so happy to be here. Thanks for doing this, Ashley. Thank you so much for being here. We're really excited. We want to uh, talk a little bit about the performing arts generally and sort of what goes into your work in terms of putting together production or performance. Um, and then maybe talk a little bit as we get going about how things might have changed in 2020. Let's just start off with just what goes into your general work putting together a production or a performance. Sure. Well, I, I guess I can start there. Um... For us at, at the Gibbons Performing Arts Center, <clears throat> staging a production is usually, it can be an, an all-day event, which starts very early, um, sometimes six and seven in the morning with a truck rolling in and all these set pieces, audio, sound, lights coming off the truck and being assembled, which takes pretty much all day. And then um, a, possibly a 7.30 or 8 o'clock performance. And sometimes the, uh, the tech may be running up until 3.30, 4 o'clock in the afternoon with sound checks and preparation. Now, that was in our pre-COVID world, and I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about it's changed, but on, on an average day, that's what it might've looked like. Okay, thank you, that's perfect. I suspect um, Jonathan and I have the, have the same addition to make with, to that, which is you can prep for a performance for months and months. I mean, we're, we're both, professors at UNCP uh, who put on performances of different kinds. And I know my students practice their stuff for 
the whole semester before we put on things. So the amount of preparation that the theater sees from Jane's side, it like spans back so many weeks <laughs> when our students or when we are learning pieces or lines, I'm sure in Jonathan's case. Am I right on that, Jonathan? Yeah, I mean, for example, we're uh, about to put off Action of Macbeth, and we've been working on that for 12 weeks. It's five days a week. It hasn't been long hours in terms of each rehearsal because of COVID, because we've been rehearsing outdoors. But uh, 12 weeks is a long time to put together a piece. I think it's a testament to all the hard work you guys do. When we see the performances, they look so effortlessly. And I know you guys work very hard to make that magic happen. Clearly a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes. And for people who've never been involved in a production themselves, they don't really don't get a sense of the, the hours of prep time that goes into, uh, you know, two hours of magic one night. I appreciate the, all, all that extra work you guys are doing that the, the audience just doesn't see. It's great that you said that, Richard, because you're absolutely right. People come in and see two hours of magic. And as, as an arts presenter, we get that all the time from people saying, you know, what would be great if you could bring in da da da. Well, you know, whatever, whatever is some uh, Disney cartoon or whatever, because they have no idea that these things are tours that have been put together, rehearsed, staged and then put out on the road. Sometimes in the audience's mind, it's just you can just sort of pick and grab whatever titles and make them happen. And they take that magic for granted. Well, in our GPAC, you know, it hosts all of our student performances, but it also hosts things like the Broadway and more series. And so you have to keep a very busy calendar uh, rotating in different um, events and performances. Okay, wonderful. So as I alluded to earlier, we know that 2020 has been very different for you guys. And I feel like you guys have really worked some creative magic to continue what you do in a meaningful way for the community and for our students. And so I wanted you to just talk a little bit about how COVID-19 has impacted your role in the performing arts, um, maybe some of the challenges that it has presented. And then after that, we can talk about some of the really cool ways you guys are adapting to those challenges. So maybe start with the challenges first in some way. The obvious challenge here is what you alluded to earlier. There just aren't any shows to bring in. In terms of touring performances, it's just not happening right now. On our end, it's this idea of, is it safe to do theater, to to make theater uh, during this time? Is it safe for the actors and for the designers and for the director? Um, and uh, so these are, are huge challenges that the theater community uh, broadly is is uh, experiencing uh, Broadway being shut down until the middle of next year at least. Um, most regional theaters are uh, shut down. Um, there's not a lot happening at all in terms of uh, producing theater the way we knew it before. So it is an unprecedented time. Yeah, in terms of musicians, there's been extensive research that's been done specifically with wind instruments, which mine is, the flute is a wind instrument, just meaning like you use air to make the sound um, because that's so tied up in aerosols and we use our air in a really sort of directive 
forceful way <laughs> in a in a way that goes beyond just like normal speaking. So for us, if we do any rehearsals, they have to be 30 minutes or less, and then we have to let the air sort of circulate. If there's wind instruments, um, we're only letting nine students in a large room play together <laughs> very far apart. And that's with no audience, obviously, which is a huge difference, I think, for all of us. We, I, I don't want to speak for these guys, but I love an audience. I, I get such an energy from audiences and we don't have them right now. <laughs> so, um, so my hope is that for musicians, you know, the, the research will catch up with COVID a little bit and we'll know what makes it a little bit safer to play. I th it's interesting you were talking about the downtime for the rehearsals, right? I know you leave the, re the rehearsal rooms empty for a while so that that air could circulate. And sort of the parallel to that would be Jonathan's rehearsals outside to keep the, the buildup of the, the virus in this space uh, to a minimum there. So you guys have really had to be adaptive in ways to keep folks safe at this. And I think our departments have done a great job in taking these precautions seriously. And that's reflected in our low positivity rate on, on campus at the, at the moment. So thank you for all those efforts. I think that's absolutely right. And I think, you know, I, as a teacher, too, I do all of my courses outdoors because I, I didn't want to go the hybrid route in terms of having half of the class online and half face-to-face. -face. So I'm teaching full face-to-face, -face, socially distanced outdoors under under the cool trees in front of GPAC. So it's, it's been, um, it's been a, a sea change in terms of teaching as well. This is Chancellor Robin Cummings, and I want to thank you for listening to 30 Brave Minutes. Our faculty and students provide expertise, energy, and passion driving our region forward. Our commitment to Southeastern North Carolina has never been stronger through our teaching our research, and our community outreach. I want to encourage you to consider making a tax-deductible contribution to the College of Arts and Sciences at the University of North Carolina at Pembroke. With your help, we will continue our impact for generations to come. You can donate online at uncp.edu give. Thanks again for listening. Now back to more 30 Brave Minutes. <laughs> Okay, you guys, so you talked about some of the challenges. We know that it's been difficult to do things, well, I'm going to say impossible to do things normal, right? And and difficult trying to figure out ways to produce um, a product or bring in a product or keep the community engaged. So I'm really interested in some of the new approaches that you've used and, and the ways in which you've had to get creative to make your work happen in the age of COVID. So where, whatever you want to take that is fine with me. James and I's collaboration, I think James can talk a little bit more about like how we're sort of uh, hooking up to produce theater. Yeah, as Jonathan said, you know, we he and I have collaborated for going on four years now on producing a production together. Our first one was Romeo and Juliet. And of course, that whole paradigm was turned upside down this year. We couldn't do that. But for me, over the summer, as things progressed, and I think after March, when we initially went into our shutdown, 
I think every day was sort of a quest for optimism to say, you know, maybe tomorrow, maybe there'll be a vaccine, maybe there's some solution, maybe we'll get back. And I hear that a lot with our Broadway producers. Um, you know, when I when I speak with agents, and they're telling me, yeah, we're we're still looking at 2021 dates, we're looking at these dates, and there's a sense of optimism there. And, and in your head, you're going, it's it's not going to happen. It's just not going to fall out the way you think it's going to. But in my world, um, you know, we we talked earlier about my title and and that uh, arts creator thing that is in my career band. The the uh, the pandemic has essentially turned things around for me because technically, what I was before COVID was a presenter, and we present the arts. We basically turn on the lights, open the doors, and put it on the stage for you. And COVID has really turned my role into that of of an arts creator now because we are really having to produce all the content that we're making for our audiences. And the place we've gone is digital. And we found that that's, that's been really good for us. In fact, I was on uh, yesterday a webinar with the Wallace Foundation, and we were talking about reimagining the future of the arts. And of course, all venues mostly have gone, those that are still open have gone virtual and digital in some capacity. And I think now the, the attitude we're beginning to see is that not only are we will return to live performances at some point, and at GPAC, we certainly will too, but this is changing the way that we're doing things. And we've we've learned a lot about our digital creation. And as we move forward, GPAC intends to keep some sort of digital content as part of what we offer. And uh, I can talk a little bit more later about some of the benefits that we've noticed from that. But that has been our world is to turn to digital. And there are very obvious benefits to it. And I will say this, you know, I'm as ready as anyone for live performances to come back, but I'm really also very, very excited about the things that we're doing right now because they're very, they're very innovative and collaborative. And, uh, you know, I'm working with Sarah on a project now that uh, we'll be finishing up in the next day or so and ready to release. I mean, Jonathan's play uh, beginning next week, and that will be coming out soon and some other side projects with that. So, you know, I will say this in, in closing, um, I think that the pandemic has really pulled innovation off the sidelines. I agree that like we're sort of moving to this like digital world of performance, which we've sort of been dealing with that. But this is um, this is next level because we can't just have a concert and, you know, have people in the seats. So I think to piggyback on what James was saying, I think it's led to a lot of innovation. My husband loves baseball. I only watch it during the World Series because it's a nice thing to do for him because I love him, but I find it not super exciting. So the World Series is happening right now. So I'm like, you know, I'm sort of watching and they're good games and they're great players. And so the quality is really, really high and there's a lot of excitement and there's good things happening. But I would so rather go to see my local minor league baseball team in the park. Um, and it's not because I don't see the difference in the product. Mm -hmm. It's because there's a, there's a vitality that you get from feeling like you are part of a big group of people who are all watching the same thing. There's such an energy and there's such a, a life there. And like when you're sitting in the seat, you're like, maybe the ball's going to come to me. <laughs> or, <laughs> you know, maybe I'm going to get a high five from the mascot. <laughs> like you feel like you're part of the thing. And so 
I think for me, knowing that like that energy and that participation factor for the audience is not going to be there in a natural way means that the artist, musician needs to do extra work. Like we need to get them engaged because that's what makes performances special. It's what makes you remember that first time that you went and saw the orchestra when you were in third grade. Like it 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 makes you feel like you're part of things. So my goal has been we want to do the digital thing, but we want to do it not just like pick up a performance and plop it online. Mm-hmm. That doesn't give the the person watching it any like it doesn't invest them in the same way <laughs> as as like you know, if there's something that we're asking them to do or asking them to think about or asking them to look at that's different. That's been my grand unified theory of COVID performing arts and baseball, I guess. I just couldn't agree more with, and I think that that baseball analogy is, is genius because it's it's an absolute nightmare not to have an audience if you're a performer. And and as an audience, watching something on video, uh, especially a theater piece or a music piece, is it's not the same. Of course not. Uh, for thousands and thousands of years, uh, there's been live performance. Uh, and there's been studies done that an audience's heartbeat all syncs together when they're watching a performance live. And so there's a real communication toward, towards the actors and the audience, uh, a real um, conversation that's happening implicitly over the top of the explicit uh, performance. So that dynamic cannot be captured on video. That being said, there's a lot of things we can do with digital, like James was talking about, these these innovative ideas in terms of what we're doing is we're filming Macbeth and we're getting the cameras right on stage with the actors. So it's not like we're setting up cameras and just letting it roll on the play, but there's a sort of hybrid feel to where we can, we can sort of uh, record the play and document the play as a theatrical piece, but also use elements of film and elements of film acting in it to create a more hybrid feel to the experience for for, uh, the people watching. That's really cool. One of the things they might think of specifically as a general audience when they first think about performing arts in COVID is maybe something like Hamilton being on Disney+. Plus. Some Things like that, I think people are seeing as, you know, you're taking, picking up theater, picking, picking up these experiences that people might not normally have access to and putting it in a way that's accessible to them in their living room. And it's definitely different, but do we see any value in that? I do. Um, as, as I was saying yesterday, I was on a webinar with, with the uh, Wallace Foundation, and one of the things they recently found in a study was that there's a difference and a diversity in people who are visiting arts organizations now. And in fact, they figure that of the people using digital content from theaters, those who had been to the theater in person in the past year were twice as likely to be African-American and twice as likely to have incomes as less than $25,000. And I think Hamilton has been a game changer in that respect because 
the arts are, they're in your living room. They're very accessible to people now more than they have been before. And all of the content that we're doing right now through GPAC is all free. And we're, put, we're posting it on our website and we're doing digital ads to put it out there in social media for people to discover it. So, you know, it, what the Wallace Foundation is saying is very in line with something that I hoped would be a result of doing uh, virtual performances is that we would reach audiences that we may never reach before. And there's a good side to that coming up because when we do return to what we consider a normal uh, time in the, we hope that we'll bring audiences in we may not have before. People who were exposed to things digitally and said, wow, let me give this a chance. And I never had an idea that a play looked like that or that I could get that close to a performer. And I think, you know, they, while they can't, and, and, you know, Sarah hit the nail on the head when she said this thing about energy um, and, and Jonathan as well. I mean, there are neurological connections that we make as, as an audience. We're all in sync when we're watching something. We're missing that energy, but I think in some ways audiences can pick up a little bit on that digitally and want to really feel that in person when they come in. So I think, you know, there are going to be some great benefits to what's happening virtually and digitally and um, when we return to our quote unquote normal world, which I really don't even think is going to be that way anymore. I think we're going to see some sort of modified world in the arts when we come back that it's that's partly living in this world of digital creation and partly in, in a world of live performance again. But I think there's some tremendous upside to this. Oh, good. Wonderful. Sarah, I would love to hear you talk a little bit about the railroaded project you had told me about before. So if you don't mind. No, not at all. So I think one of the interesting ways that I've had to think about teaching this semester is that a lot of classes are sort of built around like a culminating event. I teach like intro to music. So normally you do intro to music and then there's like a final exam. And because, you know, my class is hybrid, I can't have like a final exam like I normally would. And I think a lot of professors are dealing with that. In the performing arts classes, uh, a lot of times the culminating event is a concert. And so we can't do that either. <laughs> so I think a lot of the performing arts folks are thinking, you know, are doing the same thing that all of the faculty at UNCP and everywhere are doing. Like, what does it look like to finish a semester and have these students feeling like, you know, there's sort of an arc to the semester and that we have like a little, nice little pinpoint at the end when normally that would just be a concert. So for my students, what we did was we contacted a composer that I know, Nicole Chamberlain. She's come to UNCP before in the before times. She wrote a piece for flute choir called Railroaded. So um, I contacted her to ask if she would give us permission to film it and have the students record it. And she very graciously sent us a click track, which is something that um, she builds on her end that students can listen to in their ear and all record their parts separately. But then we can sort of combine them. So we're like 100% sure that they'll sort of line up, which was fantastic that she sent that to us um, because she's really excited about the project. So I think we all know that there's a lot of railroad tracks around UNCP. <laughs> um, so what we did was 
I had my students um, over the course of like two weeks. I video recorded them at different railroad tracks very safely I might add they were not like on the railroad tracks I have video evidence that this is the case <laughs> then we're sort of going to stitch those together and they're audio recording them separately with actually the music department's um, tech person Andrew Beck and so he's gonna um, mix them together and then we'll add that together so it'll be a really cool new music project. The students are really engaged because part of their um, final project is they have to help me um, choose like spots and images in their own video to put in, which I think is a useful way of learning about editing without saying like, good luck. I think it's gonna be great for UNCP because like we're making a feature, like a fun feature of that thing that sometimes annoys us when we're like coming late to class and we get stuck by the railroad train. But we're like, we're totally embracing the railroad with this project. So it's been really fun. I'm super, super excited. It's definitely not something I would have done pre-COVID because I'm learning on the job too. Like I'm learning how to edit video. I'm learning how to take video. I'm learning how to edit audio. So I think it's gonna be super cool. I'm really excited. Yeah, that sounds really, really interesting. I'm excited to see it. And you talk in there just about some collaboration that you've had. I'm interested, are there any other projects that you guys have going on that are collaborative? Not, I mean, it could be within UNCP, but also outside of our university that have, that might not have happened had things not changed for us. Could I mention a couple of things? And one, um, I'll say, and this is kind of related to what happened with Hamilton, um, in 2017, we recorded a piece on the GPAC stage called The River's Wrath. It was written by Mark Anderson, who's a local musician, very talented and world-renowned composer. Janelle Miller came to UNCP and also Jamil Wright, who is a music student at UNCP, and they performed the piece on the GPAC stage and it was recorded then. Now, in an era of COVID, we start looking back and going, well, do we have anything filmed? And we were able to find this piece that was very professionally put together and um, and we're using that. So we that's a collaborative piece that we did that we didn't even realize that we would use. But I, I definitely want to speak about the project that Sarah and I have been working on um, because we're going to be releasing that very soon in the next few days. Um, and it's called Ghost Light. And Ghost Light is a collaboration also with the uh, Museum of the Southeast American Indian. Nancy Fields, the director there, is a huge ghost story fan, and she's been collecting local ghost stories from, from the community, and she had written those down. And so we had some Native readers to come in and read those stories on our stage. Uh, Linnea Barella-Lewis did some fantastic lighting and scene design for these readings. And then Sarah coordinated with us some uh, musicians from the faculty department, including herself, who uh, she did a flute piece, and that's included in there. And this is all put together sort of like a variety type show. I will be doing the narration for it, and we'll go from a ghost story into a musical piece into another ghost story, and there are going to be a lot of great visual elements in there. So that's been a great collaboration that we've been working on. Um, also working with Jonathan on um, our, we, we work together regularly. And so this production of Macbeth that we're working on. And uh, another note I wanted 
to mention, you know, talking about the benefits of what we're doing. Again, in this Wallace Foundation study, we learned that one of the things that people are asking for in their digital content now, 72% of people are saying that they want to see more inclusive inclusivity and more community. And I feel like we're doing both in those collaborations. Uh, obviously, doing those Lumbee ghost stories in Ghost Light is going to be one piece. But also, and Jonathan can speak about this too, one of the things I love about working with Jonathan is the fresh take that he brings to his work. He takes Shakespeare and he really modernizes it, makes it very relevant. And Jonathan, maybe you can talk a little bit about some of the social themes that you're including and some of the things that are included there that really link back into our community and our times. I think what's a privilege here is that we get to approach Shakespeare during pandemic, because Shakespeare was so key to pandemic, I mean, one of the witch's lines in the show, the, one of the first lines of the play is, uh, fair is foul, and foul is fair. Hover through the fog and filthy air. So it really sets up this idea of pandemic, and so we've decided to embrace it and set the play in a pandemic. So the, the characters are actually aware of pandemic. They're wearing masks. They're socially distant. The play is, is set uh, in a sort of sick world. And that is a metaphor for the division that Shakespeare creates in the play between certain factions. And uh, Macbeth, sort of dividing the country in, in a way that is um, toxic and sick. So we've sort of connected the, uh, the play to pandemic and to our moment of division in our country. And so I feel really strongly about um, how Shakespeare reaches through time and speaks to us and teaches us about the dangers and the toxicity and the sickness of division and what I love is that he offers, through the character of Malcolm, a, a sort of healing voice, a sort of messianic cessation of time so that we can unite and that we can come together as a people and uh, um, move forward in a progressive way. And, and so even though the play is a tragedy with sickness and witches and the occult and darkness, uh, the message is hopeful is, is that there will come a time of healing and we must embrace that. I think it's a wonderful example of how the arts have agency. I mean, so often we talk about people, people talk about the arts just being a reflection of society, but you just proved the point that the arts actually engage in it and are active participants and are generating the perpetuation of these ideas, right? You're actively engaged in, in creating modern thought. And it's one of the great things about the art. The, vi the visual arts do the same thing as well. Can you guys tell me a little bit about how people at UNCP and outside of UNCP might be able to access these digital projects you guys are working on in case they want to check them out? On the GPAC website, which is www.uncp.edu g PAC. Um, we have what's called the Front Row Art Series. 
And this is where we have curated all these virtual performances that we've been putting together. So we'll be releasing both Ghost Light and Macbeth on our website there. And they'll be at least for a time available exclusively there. And so we're doing uh, digital ads also, as I mentioned earlier, to get people to come in and visit those. So just go to the GPAC website, www.uncp.edu slash GPAC. Thank you all so much for being with us today. I really appreciate it. Uh, hopefully you'll be able to join us again in the future. podcast was edited by Ashley Allen and transcribed by Janet Gentes. The theme music was created by Riley Morton. This content is copyrighted by the University of North Carolina at Pembroke and the College of Arts and Sciences. It is to be used for educational and non-commercial purposes only and is not to be changed, altered, or used in any commercial endeavor without the express written permission of authorized representatives of UNCP. The views and opinions expressed by the individuals during the course of these discussions are their own and do not necessarily represent the views, opinions, and positions of UNCP or any of its subsidiary programs, schools, departments, or divisions. While reasonable efforts have been made to ensure that information discussed is current and accurate at the time of release, neither UNCP nor any individual presenting material makes any warranty that the information presented in the original recording has remained accurate due to advances in research, technology, or industry standards. Thanks for listening, and go Braves!